Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. This episode is sponsored by Luke's English Podcast Premium. That's my other podcast service. Sign up to my premium subscription to unlock over 80 video and audio episodes in the Luke's English Podcast app and online, in which I teach you vocab, grammar, and pronunciation. I upload new content each month. All episodes have a PDF with transcripts, tests, and answers. There are pronunciation drills for all the target language. At the moment, I'm preparing something about common phrases with the word devil because I got inspired by doing this free episode about the number 666. There are lots of phrases in English with the word devil and I've selected the ones which I think are commonly used these days. So that's the premium episode I'm working on at the moment. To unlock all the premium content in my app and on my website, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info to sign up or just go to my website and click premium in the menu. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there. Welcome back to episode 666 of Luke's English Podcast, in which my brother James and I are talking about scary and evil things. In the first two parts, we talked about the number 666, the devil in music, Black Sabbath, And then in part two, we described some genuinely frightening experiences that we've had in our lives. I'm glad to say that more comments have arrived on the website, and it's good to see that people have been enjoying this series. In this third and final part, the plan is to talk about scary films, including the first scary films we ever saw. Okay, I found this on the web for this series, and this third and final part of the plan is to talk about scary films. Siri... I didn't ask you to do that. Is that that's weird? Um, every time I say series, Siri thinks I'm talking to her, and my Siri is a female. I've chosen that. I've chosen an Australian woman to be Siri for me. Hey Siri, I wasn't actually talking to you then. I don't understand. Hey Siri, I wasn't actually talking to you then. No, please. Don't search the web for it. Just go back. Just go and have some Vegemite or something. Anyway, so what was I saying? So the plan is in this third part, the, the third part of this series. No? Okay. Um, we're going to talk about scary films, including the first scary films we ever saw, why some people enjoy watching scary films, and then some descriptions of our favorite scary films. Now, I'm, not, I'm sure that not all of you are into films like this, but I hope that you can still enjoy listening to us describing them and talking about the effect that they had on us when we saw them. And I've been thinking, will you be able to identify the films that we're talking about? I expect that some of these films have different titles in your language. It's quite important 
that you know which films they are, even if you haven't seen them. So you might want to check them out quickly before you listen to this in order to identify them. You don't have to watch them all. I just want to be sure that you know which ones we're actually talking about. In fact, I'll give you the English titles now and very brief one-line descriptions and you'll see that all these titles are listed on the page if you want to know the spelling. So you can hopefully work out which films these are or you can Google them yourself, see if you recognise them and see what they are called in your country. So here are the films which we mentioned during this conversation. Do you know which films they are and do they have different titles in your language? So the first one is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the original horror slasher films from 1974 about a group of hippies who go on a road trip that ends badly when they're attacked by a weird family of cannibals in Texas, one of whom wields a chainsaw. What a lovely, lovely film. So that's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Then there is Children of the Corn from 1984, Not a very widely known film, to be honest. It was adapted from a Stephen King short story of the same name. The plot of the film is described by the Internet Movie Database, the IMDb, as a young couple is trapped in a remote town where a dangerous religious cult of children believes that everyone over the age of 18 must be killed. Another lovely film. It stars Linda Hamilton who plays Sarah Connor in the Terminator films. That's the Children of the Corn. Hmm? Do you know that one? You probably don't. It's it's not very well known. Then there's the film Jaws. Jaws. Uh, That is the 1975 Steven Spielberg film about a shark. It's an absolute classic and the most famous film about a shark ever. You must know which one that is. Think of it. What's the most well-known film about a shark it's probably Jaws. In French, it's called The Teeth of the Sea. It's got famous music by John Williams. Anyway, Jaws. Then there's The Thing from 1982, directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. The Internet Movie Database describes it like this. A research team in Antarctica is hunted by a shape-shifting alien that assumes the appearance of its victims. It was pointlessly uh, remade a few years ago. The 1982 version is definitely the best one. Amazing and disturbing visual effects. That's The Thing. Then there's Alien from 1979, the original Alien film, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver, That's the one with the xenomorphs, face huggers and stuff. You know, Alien, don't you? It spawned a whole franchise with sequels, including the more recent ones, Prometheus and Alien something. I actually can't remember what it was called, the more recent Alien film. Alien some, Alien colon, like misadventure or something. Alien, uh, Alien marketing, Alien, Alien. I did a whole podcast episode about it actually. Um, It's called Alien Covenant. That's it. Alien Covenant. What a terrible name. Alien Covent Covent Garden would have been a much better film. Imagine that. Like, it's Covent Garden in London, but there's an alien. Ah, what should we do? Go shopping? No. I don't know. Buskers are getting 
getting killed and stuff. Uh, Aliens in Covent Garden. That would be a brilliant film. Anyway, Alien. You know the one? Of course you do. There's also Evil Dead 2. Uh, Evil Dead 2 from 1987, directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell. The IMDb describes it like this. The lone survivor of an onslaught of flesh-possessing spirits hides in a cabin with a group of strangers while the demons continue their attack. Okay, and then there's Ghostbusters. You know Ghostbusters, surely. 1984, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Bill Murray. Three former parapsychology professors set up shop as a unique ghost removal service. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! You know, Ghostbusters. So those are the main films we talk about then. I hope you know which ones we mean. As well as the talk of films, there are a couple of other topics in this episode, including a story that James felt compelled to share with us from the business world of skateboarding about a skateboard with a famously controversial illustration on it. A picture of Satan in hell being evil. So a skateboard with a dangerous design, basically. That story is about, it's essentially about the power of superstition, I think. We also have a go at some armchair philosophy at the end as we consider the idea of whether humans have free will or not and how this might affect the existence of evil in the world and whether the existence of the devil can somehow confirm one's faith in the existence of God. If humans do bad things, is that because they're evil or is there a more rational explanation for why people do bad things? Big questions which we're not really qualified to answer, but we have a stab at it. Also, there's the legendary story of blues guitarist Robert Johnson from the 1930s, who, legend has it, sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads in return for amazing guitar playing technique and a mastery of the blues. The question there is, for what price would you sell your soul to the devil? So that's an overview of what's coming up. I say all that stuff just because it helps you to understand things. If you get a general overview, it'll help you understand the whole conversation. So I gave a warning at the start of part one of this, that you'd hear some weird and frightening sounds at some moments during the episode. I'd like to say that again now, you will hear some weird and frightening sounds at some moments in this episode, because we play some audio from some of those horror films, and of course they contain some frightening noises, so be ready to hear some banging or crashing sounds, some scratching and scraping sounds, ominous voices, the sound of a chainsaw, some screaming and other disturbing noises. Okay, apologies again for James's microphone cutting out a bit during the episode. I hope it's not too distracting for you. So if you are ready and prepared mentally, physically and spiritually and not feeling too sensitive, let's continue with the final part of episode 666. And here we go. Okay, let's talk about scary films, because scary films are scary, and being scared is fun, especially in the context of just an entertaining film. Uh, Being scared makes you feel more alive, doesn't it? I was thinking about this when we started, you know, talking about doing this podcast, and I was trying to work out why horror films are attractive. And I thinking of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, why would you watch it in the first place? I mean, I think that every time I see it, halfway through i'm like why am i watching this the texas chainsaw and massacre that's my my most favorite or the scariest film that i think i've seen that i liked 
I say liked, you know what I mean, had an effect on me. And I think it's because all the characters are desperate to live. And it that's kind of comes over, you know, you, you want them to live, they're desperate to live. It's they're clinging on to life, with, you know, with, and they're in great peril, but they, they just want to stay alive. And that's like... Survival, life, survival, it's what life is about. Life affirming. Mm. And it gives you a thrill to sort of be vicariously close to, to peril or fear or death. And we can go through some of those emotions, not to the full extent, but you can go through some of those emotions and then come out of it at the other end and the lights come on and you're alive and you're fine. But I suppose you do get a basic primal thrill from being scared, yeah. I think uh, Mark Hermode, the film critic who we both like, and who's a huge fan of horror films, he says that basically being scared makes you feel more alive. It's a sort of life-affirming experience. And it must be some of the first ever films must have been horror films. I mean, it must go with the medium. Well, it, actually, the first ever film was it was the shot of a train coming towards the camera. And uh, apparently the people in the, in the cinema in, uh, like got up from their seats and ran because they were so scared by the... But it was the, yeah. you know they'd never seen film before first of all and the train coming towards them was so realistic that they had a very visceral reaction and it's it's been said before but the kind of um, the process of projecting a film is kind of ghost like um, similar to how they used to do ghost shows in the Victorian era they used to project onto glass same thing that they do with what they call holograms now which aren't bloody holograms. <laughs> Limmy will tell you more about that. They're not holograms. They're projections onto like perspex or glass or something. And the kind of process of film is kind of quite ghostly, you know, and you can kind of, you're projecting these images of sometimes dead people onto the wall, you know, or people captured at a certain time. Yeah. There's something, some parallel there somehow between film and the idea of a ghost of this kind of captured memory. The spirit, um, yeah, projected in the air. The light, uh, light projected. It is the spirit, essentially. It's a sort of vision of the past that's brought into the present. Mm, captured, Truth. like their soul has been captured and then... Yeah, a magic process. Yeah, it is interesting. It's, it's spooky. Generally, cinema is spooky. Um, but okay, scary films then. Shall we talk about some of our favourite scary films? You mentioned the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Do you want to talk about that let's at all? Let's start with the first film. I mean, let's start with the first time you saw a scary film, you personally. What, uh, what do you remember? What first scared you? Well, I think the first scary film that we both saw was Jaws. Well, actually, I saw a horror film when I was a child. I saw two, actually, that disturbed me. Yeah, I remember I sh- this, yeah friend that had all those heavy metal albums and a load of robert crumb comics i should point out very bad influence this kid um he um somehow when i was at his house i saw some of children of the corn which is a stephen king adaptation and i saw it again recently and i can see why as a child it really freaked me out because it's really nasty and the music's kind of edgy and scary. The children are sort of demonic. It's a kind of uh, horror film of like a kind of society of, I don't know what, the country-dwelling cult or something, I don't know. But they basically hack a lot of people up with scythes 
which is you know quite a nasty implement as well and i saw this as a child and it really disturbed me in the film isn't it about uh, sacrifice that they they take uh, people from the village and sacrifice them to the children of the corn and the children of the corn i mean i don't know the plot of the film but something about that well i, I didn't watch it properly but it just the whole atmosphere of it freaked me out i don't think there was any particular scene that scared me but it was the atmosphere of i don't think i'd seen something that was outwardly trying to scare you in in a media form like that apart from like doctor who which is for kids but um yeah it's the first time we've seen this is really trying to disturb me and i don't like it yeah something malevolent about that and it's you know for adults it's okay because we 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 watch it because we want to be scared but for a child who's sort of unwittingly watching something that they don't really know what they're still working out the world then yeah that's that's pretty pretty disturbing. I didn't think didn't think it was real or anything it was just the the atmosphere was so nasty and psychological you know kind I, of uh, trying to get to you i remember when you saw it i remember we were living in ealing um when we were kids so i must have been about seven or eight years old you would have been about eight or nine or something like that and i remember you telling me that you'd seen it i remember the name the children of the corn um, I re- distinctly remember you telling me that you'd seen this film and that it had scared you and it was really scary and you tried to explain the plot to me. I remember you saying something about things coming th- through the corn. Yeah, they were like the kids were kind of... It wasn't... I can't bloody remember, but there was some kind of, some kind of massacre in a, in a cornfield or some sort of horrible slash situation. So I remember you telling me about it, but you weren't kind of like, oh, I saw a film. And, uh, you know, you weren't like that. It was more like you were just sort of trying to work out what you'd seen and you were quite affected by it. Um, rather than really scared, it was more like I saw this thing and it was it was really, really weird and you were trying to kind of come to terms with it. Okay, so maybe I wasn't quite as scared as I thought. I was just, well, yeah, scared, but not like staying up all night crying or anything well maybe because you are my older brother and when you told me about it you kind of you know you 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 didn't want to scare me or i was putting a cool spin on it like hey i saw this film i wasn't scared yeah maybe for me uh well uh, jaws because we both saw that i remember that i remember uh dad really wanted to watch jaws with us but he was they were both very kind of cautious and very um how do i say it they were both like oh are you sure do you think that the boys are ready for this and they decided that uh, we could watch it and uh and it was it was great it was but it was scary the scariest part was at the beginning when the the girl's in the water and she's like come on in the water's lovely and then she gets got by the shark you don't see the shark you just see her sw- being dragged around in the water really and, violently really violently and the thing that that sort of made the impression on me was the fact that dad then said are you sure that you want to watch this and and that's what kind of made me scared like the woman getting dragged around in the water was definitely disturbing but i was like oh i'm this is quite exciting but when dad turned and said are you sure you want to watch this then it was like oh oh now i'm a bit scared (laughs) it's a bit like in those old films where they'd say if you do not want to witness scenes of graphic nature, turn away now. And it'd be like, ah, they don't really want you to turn away. They're just saying, this is going to really scare you. Yeah, they're trying to they're trying to suggest, make you suggestible and scared. And, you know, it's all about the um, preparing the expectations of the audience and stuff. Um, 
So, but Jaws was was really great. I mean, it was scary, but it was brilliant. Um, I really enjoyed it. But I do remember then going upstairs and walking through the house and being like, oh, there are sharks, there are sharks. You know, when you're a child, you kind of imagine things. Yeah. And even flushing the loo, you'd be like, oh, water, what if a shark came out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then as kids, we would we were kind of obsessed with sharks and stuff, obviously, and we, were, we used to say, what would you do if a shark came flying through the window right now? We would like go through these hypothetical situations, like, what would you do if? And there was always a shark involved. <laughs> <laughs> But yours is um, is quite scary. It's only a a PG, isn't it? No, no way is yours a PG. PG uh, listeners is a parental guidance. It's a certification for you know an age rating for a film. I don't. I think it's a lot scarier than its rating. Um, the bit that gets me is when all the kids come in from the water, and there's one that doesn't come in, mm. and the mum's really upset. Mm. That's horrible. You see a very brief shot of a shape in the water attacking the boy. Uh, you see he's on a on a on a on a raft on a um, like a sunbathing raft that you'd have in a swimming pool, and you see in the distance like a, a kind of a white shape, a and then you flipper see, or something. yeah, like a flipper uh, uh, in the water, or maybe part of the shark or something, and you see a lot of blood in the water. And uh, so it's, it, you know, that's the, the clever thing about Jaws is that they never explicitly show you things except at the end. But they do at the end. They do at the end when, when, when Quint gets, uh, gets killed. Uh, spoiler alert. But um, I, saw that. I saw that in the cinema um, a while ago and it's all great fun. And the music is very John Williams. It is John Williams, isn't it? Probably. It's like very rousing all the way through, and it's like here's the adventure bit, you know, da 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 da, and they're all off to sea for an adventure, and then there's the peril bits, you know, there's a shark, and then there's the famous theme of the shark, dun, dun. and then for the final scene where what's his name, Quint, yeah, gets eat, all the music just stops, and it's just silence, and all you can hear is like water, a, a shark, a shark like chomping its way up the boat, bits of wood breaking off and he's like fingernails like scraping down the deck as he like falls into this shark's mouth and then him screaming in the way that he'd he described earlier in the film he talks about the sound of uh of uh his fellow um naval you know sailors sailors his fellow sailors during the world during world war ii the the indianapolis which a famous uh, boat that was uh, torpedoed by um, a Japanese submarine, and uh, it slowly sank, and and uh, all the the guys on the boat had to jump into the water, and, and they actually got eaten by tiger sharks. And he's he tells the story. Um, oh, I've got to play the clip. I've got to play that clip. It's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, the USS Indianapolis scene, uh, and he does a speech. It's it's brilliant. But he talk. I think in this in this speech, he talks about the sound that the guys made when they were being eaten by the sharks and they were screaming it's a blood curdling scream and it pays off because when quint finally does get taken out by this horrible shark that's chasing them he makes the same blood curdling scream and as you say there's no music it's just silence and just this horrible screaming sound that's and and you see the blood coming from his mouth and stuff it's yeah really uh, scary stuff um Brilliant direction. Steven Spielberg, what a genius. Can you make sure that you're sharing sound with me as well? Because I didn't get it last time. Yeah, let me just do that. Let me make sure I'm sharing my screen. Yeah, the music was by John Williams, uh, by the way. 
Um, of course it was. He did all the best stuff. Okay, here we go. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into her side. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Fantastic. Hold on. So they say, so here's the thing, right? Just to set up the scene. The three of them are on the boat. They've been searching for the shark. They can't find it. They can't get it. They're and drinking. They're, and they've, they've started drinking. It's nighttime. They're in the boat and they're drinking and they've been singing and stuff. And then it all gets a bit serious because they, they start sharing. They start comparing scars. And there's like a competition of like who's got the biggest scar. And then um, Quint tells the story of, of a scar that he's got or he tells the story of, of you know, when uh, he was on this on the USS Indianapolis and uh, it was hit by a Japanese submarine. And, and this is what happens. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into her side, Chief. He was coming back from the island of Tinian to Lady. just delivered the bum. The Hiroshima bum. 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Didn't see the first shark for about half an hour. Tiger, 13-footer, you know? You know that when you're in the water, Chief? You tell by looking from the dorsal to the tail. Well, we didn't know. Was our bomb mission had been so secret... No distress signal had been sent. <laughs> they didn't even list us overdue for a week. Very first light, Chief. Sharks come cruising. So we formed ourselves into tight groups. You know, it's kind of like old squares in a battle, like you see in a calendar, like the Battle of Waterloo, and the idea was... Shark comes to the nearest man, that man, he start pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark would go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. Sometimes that shark, he looks right into you, right into your eyes. You know the thing about a shark, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. When he comes at you, he doesn't seem to be living until he bites you. And those black eyes roll over white, and then... Oh, then you hear that terrible high-pitched screaming. The ocean turns red, and in spite of all the pounding and the hollering, they all come in, and they rip you to pieces. You know, by the end of that first dawn, lost a hundred men. I don't know how many sharks, maybe a thousand. I don't know how many men, the average six an hour. On Thursday morning, Chief, I bumped into a friend of mine, Herbie Robinson from Cleveland. Baseball player, Bosun's mate. I thought he was asleep. Reached over to wake him up. Bobbed up and down in the water, it was like a kind of top. Upended. Well, he'd been bitten in half below the waist. Noon the fifth day, Mr. Hooper, Lockheed Ventura, so she swung in low and he saw us to the young pilot, a lot younger than Mr. Hooper anyway, he saw us and he come in low and three hours later a big fat PBY comes down and start to pick us up. 
You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Oh, dark at the end. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. But yeah, 11,000 men... 1,100 men went in the water and 316 came out. It's a true story, actually, that the USS Indianapolis, all the guys got eaten by sharks. Ugh. Um, so Jaws, yeah, I mean, it sounds make, makes um, our parents sound a bit irresponsible showing us Jaws. Uh, according to the uh, BBFC, that's the British Board of Film Classification, Jaws is a 12A which means that um, I think that uh, children of 12 years old uh, can see the film accompanied by an adult. <laughs> we were younger than that. I must have been about nine, eight or nine at the time. Yeah. But I'm, I'm all right, aren't I? I'm okay. No? Got over the phobia of sharks. It says, according to the, the BBFC, it includes, uh, contains moderate threat and, a, and occasional gory moments. Yeah, sounds about right. Bit of blood and stuff like that. So Jaws, but then then after after Jaws, I mean, it wasn't until I was probably about twelve or thirteen that I saw my first properly scary film, like an eighteen rated film. And the film I saw was uh, The Thing, directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell. You know the film, fantastic film. So um, I, I guess I was about twelve, maybe thirteen, and. Um, so my friend who lived up the road from us, um, his dad had all these uh, pirate videos. Video nasties. Well, probably not video nasties, actually. We'll go into those later. He probably had a few video nasties too, I imagine, but we didn't get to see them. But he had yeah. some some films that you know hadn't been released on VHS yet in the UK. I don't know where he got them, imported, um, like pirated videos. And so... The Thing was one of those, Robocop, uh, The Running Man. Uh, and I remember watching The Thing. And The Thing, if anyone's seen it, is, I mean, it's, it's oh, wow, it's an amazing film. It's one of my favorite films. Uh, but it's extremely scary. It's about a monster from space that infects a group of guys working on some kind of research base up in the, the Arctic Circle somewhere. And uh, The Thing is... How do you? How can you explain it? Go on, you try. It's a shapeshifter, so it takes on the form of the person that it's like inhabiting, or absorbs their essence, their DNA, and can shapeshift to form. Yeah, to take on the form of the thing that it's absorbed. But the thing is that when it changes from one form to the other, its appearance is like really, really, really scary and like um, like hallucinogenic or something. It's so frightening. And the, the special effects that were... The guys who did the special effects did an amazing job. And also they edited it so well that you don't see... It's again, clever editing where you see stuff for a while, but they they cut the camera away before you get a chance to really understand what you're looking at but there's lots of tentacles and things moving and and um very very weird and scary gore and monsters and stuff 
like mouths can come from nowhere. The guy's stomach turns into a mouth at one point, doesn't it? Yeah. They're trying to give him, they're trying to resuscitate him with the um whatever those things are that the what's it called? Yeah, I know what you mean. Hello, the word that we're looking for here is defibrillators. You know those things that you often see in hospitals, they're used to start someone's heart uh, with a very powerful electric shock. Two things, they're held in each hand, pressed against the chest of the person who you're trying to resuscitate, and then a powerful electric shock is delivered. They're called defibrillators. Those electric things. And uh, they're going to put it into his chest, and his chest opens up, and he eats the guy's hands with this thing. <laughs> and the guy's arms come off at the elbow and, 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 and you know, other stuff like that. Pretty extreme stuff, but it's brilliant physical effects. There's no CGI at all. And uh, the premise is really good. I like when they first discover the alien spacecraft in a big trench or a big hole in the, in the snow. And it's, you know, been there for millions of years. It's one of these really eerie moments. It's a bit like... Um, alien? H.P. Lovecraft, actually, who's a horror writer who specialises in the kind of um, describing the indescribable is what he apparently does. And he does things like describe colours that don't exist. and Or there's, a, there's one called A Colour from Space, which has been made into a very silly Nick Cage film, which is quite fun, um, where he says, I call it a colour only because it's the closest thing I could describe it to. Yeah. So it's sort of like a colour, but not a colour. It's something else. Yeah. It's but- that kind of... Really mysterious, indescribable stuff goes into quite a lot of horror films. That kind of, yeah, I don't know, like it, like it, Alien, like like the Alien yeah. films, like the so, first the first Alien film, where it's it takes you the whole film to work out what's what you've seen. And in Alien, what I like about it is the sort of setup of they're just in space in the middle of nowhere, and the way they show space, it's it's like a godless universe. There's nothing good out there, you know. It's just a scary, dark place full of things you can't imagine. Yeah. Wonderful. (laughs) Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Now, from the creator of Evil Dead, comes Evil Dead 2. Listeners, that was the trailer for Evil Dead 2. 
1987 American comedy horror, it says here on Wikipedia, film directed by Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi later uh, went on to direct the Spider-Man films, the ones with Tobey Maguire. Didn't he direct Ghostbusters as well? No. That's Harold Ramis, isn't it? Hello, I need to interrupt here again to do a little bit of uh, fact-checking. So Ghostbusters wasn't directed by Sam Raimi or Harold Ramis, although Harold Ramis was one of the actors. He plays the part of Egon Spengler. Ghostbusters was actually directed by Ivan Reitman. And uh, Ghostbusters actually had some pretty scary scenes in it too. It was actually a comedy. I remember that James and I went to see it in the cinema when we were kids. It's a comedy, but it had some pretty scary moments in it too. Like there's a, uh, a bit at the beginning where the professors, the Ghostbusters themselves, first encounter a ghost. And it's an old woman looking at books in a library and they try to approach it. And the woman turns round and she turns into a really horrible, scary monster for a moment and they run out of the library. And I remember that always used to give us a big scare and we used to get very excited by that scene. So anyway, Ghostbusters, directed by Ivan Reitman. But anyway, Evil Dead 2 then. Yes, Evil Dead 2. Amazing film. Do you remember when you first saw that? Um, yeah, I first saw that on TV. It was um, There was like a zombie night on television in, I, it must have been 1998, I reckon. And I was in Liverpool in my university student house with all my student mates, my housemates. And it was a uh, zombie night on TV and they showed some zombie films, including Evil Dead 2. Although Evil Dead 2 is not really zombies. It's possessed. It's like evil spirits that possess people. But it's, so it's not zombies at all. But anyway, I, I watched that and I thought it was... I didn't realise it was funny until about halfway through the film and then I started to realise it was hilarious and it was kind of almost like a Jim Carrey film or something but with ridiculous levels of horror and gore. Very slapstick and lots of gross-out humour. Yes, that's right. Um, It's probably got a different title in different countries and stuff like that. Um, It's not a, a sequel. It's a remake. No, it is. The first 15 minutes are a remake of Evil Dead 1, and then the rest of it is a sequel to Evil Dead 1. So it okay. it, it, it just repeats the entire story of Evil Dead 1 in the first 15 minutes, um, remakes it, summarises it in 15 minutes, and then it carries on where Evil Dead 1 left off. But it's okay. got it pushes the comedy a lot more and the slapstick a lot more than in Evil Dead 1. Evil Dead 1 was more of a straight straight ahead scary film about people uh in a in a log cabin in the woods uh being possessed by That's evil spirits by evil forces and it was very 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 low budget evil dead 2 is low budget but even more so for the first one yes that's right and the thing about evil dead 2 is well what's the what's the storyline can you remember um he's taking his girlfriend away for a a romantic weekend in a log cabin but i can't remember is it her granddad's cabin i think it's the i think it's the girl's no it's not i think that it's not really fully explained it's almost like they're trespassing in, in that he knows about this log cabin that's empty he's decided to take his girlfriend there for a romantic weekend or something but we we don't know how they know it's there it's just like they're saying stuff like the people who own this cabin are going to be away for ages don't worry it's fine yeah well <laughs> it's not fine yeah and um but the log cabin is owned by 
a professor. <laughs> um, uh, it's quite a good premise the way they summon the demon because they find an old tape machine and they play it. And on the tape machine is a recording of the guy reading out from this book, the Book of the Dead, Necronomicon and um, Ex Mortis. And because they play the tape recording, it summons the demons anyway, even if it's just a tape off a tape. Right. The guy who owns the cabin is um, an archaeologist, Raymond Noby, uh, who has been in, in, you know, researching all this kind of evil uh, history and stuff. And yes, the, the, the Book of the Dead, he's, he's managed to find the Book of the Dead, as you said, Necronomicon Ex Mortis. Um, he discovered it in an archaeological dig, and he's an expert on it, and he's done these recordings on a reel-to-reel tape uh, full of incantations and stuff. And Ash discovers... That Ash is the character, the main character in the in the story. He discovers the, the, the book and the tape recorder, and he presses play. And yeah, and he hears the, uh, the, the voice of the archaeologist professor reading out the incantations, which exactly summon evil spirits, uh, which then kind of torment him... Uh, for the rest of the film <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it's uh, uh, the, the funny thing about it one of the funny things about it is the intensity of it so it's just mostly it's just our main character played by bruce campbell who is a brilliant comic actor really he's he's brilliant at slapstick humor which is why i felt it was like a jim carrey film i, I, I thought that jim carrey must have seen this film and it in, uh it inspired him or something anyway um there's the slapstick humour of uh, Bruce Campbell, uh, but also it's just this guy trapped in a in almost like a, a single room or in a log cabin, and the entire film is so uh, so self-contained in just one space, um, but in, and yet it's so intense uh, that it's like madness. It's like this growing, rolling sense of madness, a bit like when you are trapped in one room for an, for a long period of time. And the sound design is like just brilliant. You can hear it in that trailer, but the amount of sounds they've created or, you know, mixed out of nothing. I don't know how they did it, but you know, someone says to you, well, we need a sound of like a portal to an evil dimension. And what, how would you do that? And it's loads of down, down tuned voices going, Oh, mixed in with like, yeah. And tons of actually really innovative visual effects done on a very low budget. So the, the way that they did the spirits, the, the evil spirits that were suddenly uh, summoned and, and would um, approach the log cabin, it was a camera on a piece of wood. And they just, it, like the piece of wood, it was a long plank of wood with the camera in the middle, which allowed it, them to create a sort of a steady cam so the camera's not bouncing around all the time because it's uh it's held steady by the width of the wood right and so they just ran along literally ran along or they had it on the front of a bike or car or something this camera that was steady and it was like this low essentially it creates this low shot of like the evil spirit rushing across the low to the ground towards the cabin with those sounds oh and it's it's actually very funny because the evil spirits have got almost like a little funny personality of their own like they chase ash there's one point where they chase him through the log cabin and he's like do they do that and it break he breaks through several doors backwards as like <laughs> from the camera you and you're watching his face as he's like running backwards through this house crashing through doors and it goes through the whole house and out the other side 
It's like the camera's chasing him around and it's it's yeah, it's amazing the way they actually did that where he rushes through every room of the of this log cabin and breaking through walls and doors and things. And but it becomes like a one of those sequences from Tom and Jerry. You know when Tom uh is ch- is chasing Jerry around a chair and they're going round and round and round in circles and then uh Jerry jumps up on top of the chair but Tom is still like running around until he realizes that he's not actually chasing jerry anymore the camera the evil spirit which is and in fact the camera and the way it's directed is chasing ash but then ash disappears and the the camera's then like like where where is he gone and you see him looking left and right the the evil spirit can't find him and he's like well i'll just give up then and he leaves the cabin and sort of disappears again so he's got like Every the, the film is punctuated by these episodes of Ash being chased or having to fight with some demon and then sort of managing to fend the demon off. And then there's a quiet period where it's kind of like, this is, this is crazy. And then they come back and they, they fight him again. So, yeah, lots of very kinetic camera work. The camera moving around in really inventive ways, lots of spinning around and moving sh- quick cuts and edits and things like that. And tons and tons and tons of very cheap um um like latex uh models and uh combined with bits of um uh, stop motion animation and uh to, to create really really gruesome really ridiculous monsters um and it's really creative like remember when his hand gets infected or possessed and he's like taking a rest he's like oh i've like you know he's got a shotgun on his lap he's like right okay just relax and he's he's starting to nod off and his hand wakes up and looks over and he sees he's falling asleep and his hand starts slowly moving towards him like to to kill to kill him his own hand and obviously it's just him moving his hand but it really looks like a little another creature it's actually uh, a kind of a slapstick comedy it's like uh once you get beyond the fact that it's really disgusting and quite scary it's very very funny one thing that I think is funny is the kind of demons and stuff sometimes talk a bit like um, Groucho Marx or something. <laughs> They're going to go, I'll swallow your soul, I'll swallow your soul. Or some sort of like New York <laughs> wise guy. <laughs> like the, the voices like sometimes they're evil and they're like i'll swallow your soul and some of them are like i'll swallow your soul i'll swallow your soul hey come over here yeah I'm gonna be, hey look here you i'm gonna swallow your soul see yeah they're kind of like old-fashioned they they speak in this old-fashioned way it's it's really funny we can't really talk about it anymore because um you know yeah, i mean it, just go and watch it i mean it is it is quite scary i mean there's a bit at which it kind of gets really weird when he looks at himself in the mirror and he's going, it's all right, it's okay. And he's going, and his reflection talks back to him, going, you just cut up your girlfriend with a chainsaw. Does that sound all right to you? And then reaches through the mirror and grabs him. And that sequence freaked me out. It's very, very weird and like a horrible, bad dream. You don't know if he's just experiencing it on his own or if it really is happening, if he's just imagining it like a bad dream or it's real. So it's, it's, it's where it kind of snaps back to reality as well. Like, he'll be sitting there and it'll kind of go all normal for a bit. And then it'll go weird again. It's it's very strange film. Yep, uh, but uh, good value. So we recommend The Evil Dead 2 if, if you like that kind of thing. Hey, you know where the old Franklin place is? The old Franklin place? Yeah, it's an old two-story rock house and it's sitting up on a hill. I think you have to turn on that road back there, but I'm not real sure. Yeah. Maybe I seen something like that up that way. When I look, you 
you boys don't want to go mess around no old house. But those things is dangerous. You're liable to get hurt. We'll be careful. You don't want to go fooling around other folks' property. <laughs> Some folks don't like it, and they don't mind showing you. Now, you wanted to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, God. Well, um, I mean, not everyone finds it scary, but I think it's my favourite film that genuinely scares me. When when was it actually made? And, you know, give us the context of, of when the film was made. Otherwise, it, it just, it, we're just talking no, about, which, otherwise we're talking about it in a vacuum. It was made by this guy, Toby Hooper, I think. 74, 1974. Okay. Toby Hooper. It was low budget. It was based very loosely on kind of serial killers and things like that, people that did exist. Um, Ed Gein, I think, was part of the inspiration for it. it. was one of these guys that made people into lamps and things. The, the serial killer who, who then took the uh, corpses of his victims and uh, took their skin off and used their skin to make things. Really horrible stuff. Uh, it also, the, 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 same, the same serial killer was the inspiration behind the film Psycho. Right. It was another one of those kind of uh, end of the 60s kind of movies, I think. You know, a bit like Black Sabbath. <laughs> that kind of evil vibe that came after the sort of idealism of the 60s. But it's uh, it's just a, it's basically a really simple story. Some teenagers are driving again in a van. It's a bit like um, Scooby-Doo. In fact, Scooby-Doo is probably taken from <laughs> the premise. A load of teenagers in a van driving somewhere, as they always are, to, to do something teenagery. And um, first of all, some weirdo, they give him a lift. And that's another kind of hippie thing. Like, hey, let's give him a lift. Hey, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. And maybe, you know, the Manson family was part of the inspiration. And this guy's just not cool. And he's very scary. He leaves, but then I think they've run out of petrol, the, the usual thing. The group split up and half of them go off to the house to look for petrol and the other two, one of whom's in a wheelchair, stay behind. And that's when it starts to get scary because you know when you get split up from somebody mm. or you like you've arranged to meet someone and they don't turn up or people go off and then they don't come back and you're waiting for ages and ages and you start to think, oh, they'll be, you know, it's a bit different now with phones, but before mobile phones, you'd be like, they'll be along soon. Don't worry, you know. And then you wait a bit longer. Oh, really, you know, I wonder where they are, you know. And then as it gets, you start to slightly think of like worst case scenarios, you know. And this is like the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate worst case scenario. Because what's happened, they, they end up like going to a, a, an old house. They're, they're out in the middle of nowhere in, in, in America somewhere. You can guess from the title the kind of thing we're talking about. But basically, they end up at an old house and they're, they're like, we need to get some help from the locals, but the locals aren't friendly. Yeah, so I think we should play the trailer just to set the scene. The um, This is another one where the sound design was really innovative for the time. Is this the trailer or is this just some sound effects? I think this is some sound effects from the trailer. This, this is from, from the re-release trailer. It's not the original trailer. But it's got good examples of all the sound effects in here. And there's kind of things like bones and chicken feathers and, you know, fly noises and just really creepy, horrible things that you don't want to go anywhere near. Atmospheric sound effects. Yeah, have a listen. Okay. Okay. 
Actually, <laughs> it makes me think of some computer games that have definitely taken inspiration from that. I think that's been a bit enhanced because it's a re-release thing. You know, it's been they've slightly boosted some of those, but all those are, are sound effects from the film. And when you see it, I mean, I went to see it. I think I might have said this on your podcast before, but went to see it in the cinema with a friend of mine on Halloween mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago, and um, the cinema was full. And I've seen it loads of times, but I don't think I've seen it in cinema before. It was an original print, so it was a 1970s print in the reel, you know, being projected. So it's all grainy and crackly, and it's kind of very atmospheric because you're like, fuck, this is actually the original print from the time. And it makes it even more grimy in a way because the print's like jumping around and it feels like illicit somehow. And um, it was flipping terrifying. Like halfway through my mate just, well, halfway through the first really scary bit, my mate just turned around to me with a just look of just like, what are you, why are we going to see this? Because he was like, oh, I've never seen it before. I was like, ah, it's, it's quite scary. It's not that scary. You've seen 18s before, right? And he he was not prepared for how full on it was. Because the thing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that everybody knows the name or certainly people of our generation, we've all, we all know the name. It's like a well-known name. and uh, And yet people don't necessarily know what the film is really like so i expect a lot of people went to the cinema going hey let's go and see the texas chainsaw massacre yeah uh, but it's actually a really um gritty genuinely disturbing and scary film it's not one of those kind of um it's not like one of the 80s it's like not like one of those horror films from the 80s a slasher film like the freddy krueger movies or jason or something like that it's a lot more serious and dark than that I mean, they're just sort of like these sort of uh, cannibalistic rednecks that live in a farm somewhere. It's not like supernatural or anything. Yeah, it's just and, it's just humanity gone wrong and unfriendly uh, people who uh, live on their own in the middle of nowhere, and they've gone they've gone wrong. They've gone bad. Oh, uh, it's making me feel creepy just thinking about it. I mean, there's a few bits that I don't. I, I went to. It's very nasty and the thing is though you don't actually see that much actual stuff happening it's mainly cutaways and clever cuts basically and you think you've seen things that you really haven't seen but it's oh sorry we've talked about we've talked about gory disgusting stuff like the thing and evil dead 2 and all that stuff but really the most effective horror films are the ones that work on your mind and don't necessarily show you explicitly the the horrible stuff but they just sort of uh let your mind do the work yeah i mean one of the worst bits in texas chainsaw massacre for me there's a few really bad bits that are small details like towards she's kind of gone through it a lot one of the main characters and she gets sort of half rescued and she thinks she might be safe but she's not sure and the sheriff guy goes off to like get help or whatever but he leaves her on her own with the door open of this cabin and there's something just really scary about this empty door like you don't know if that guy's going to come in any second and just kill her yeah yeah and it's an empty door and like there was sounds in the cinema of people going oh you know that's mainly mainly girls i have to say but there were a few involuntary noises going on like oh god and things like that throughout the film 
Yeah, it's not like in a, in one of those fun modern jump scare movies like Paranormal Activity where people are like, oh, kind of giggling. And it's like, you know, that kind of scary. Instead, it's genuine. People are genuinely disturbed. Like, oh, 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 God. And there's another bit right at the end where she's just about to escape and she's trying to get into this truck and her leg's broken and she can't get into the truck. And it's like that was one where people were losing it in the cinema. Just going, oh, God, God, you know, like yeah yeah the horror of your fucking scary you're, you're, you're trying you're running for your life you're trying to climb into the back of a truck in order to save your life but because your leg is broken you can't get in and you keep you, you keep falling over and trying again and again meanwhile there's a guy with a chainsaw somewhere down the road who's you know is coming uh oh it's it really is the stuff of nightmares <laughs> i mean every time i watch it halfway through i think why am i watching this what is wrong with me why, why am I doing this to myself? And I thought that, I mean, there was times where I don't have much hair left, but I could feel it standing on end, you know, like it's a physical feeling. Yeah. And I suppose that's why we do it. It's computer it's a- games now. That's all that stuff. All those things that were done in, for example, the 70s horror films, they've all been taken and put into computer games, like the Resident Evil series. Resident Evil 4, I think, was the, the one that introduced... Um, people with chainsaws that would come rushing towards you and it's really 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 scary uh in the game very well designed games now that 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 sort of use those cinematic effects um uh in the game brilliant exciting games i feel feel creeped out just thinking about the texas chainsaw massacre yeah it's really disturbing and dark because it also it's because the the group of kids or they're not really kids they're like teenagers or whatever they're all hippies and they're all into flower power hey man it's like like let's go to the lake and we'll go camping at the lake and then this and you know it's it's the same thing that you said about alien it's basically a godless universe and yeah yeah that's a good point it is a kind of a bit like you know all these hippie dreams you've got well they don't stand for shit boy yeah because there are dark pockets of humanity out there there are dark forces out there that you can't understand or control. Mm. <laughs> sleep, Lee. Sleep well. Sleep well, everybody. Have nightmares. Get sleep paralysis. If you do, if you do wake up in the middle of the night and you're frozen in bed and you can't move, but you feel like there's someone there, uh, don't worry. You've just got sleep paralysis. <laughs> Or, or there is really a, an evil spirit standing over you and uh, using dark magic to prevent you from moving and opening your eyes. It's either one or the other, you know. Yeah, we're not, we're not going to speculate. It's time for my skate diversion now, right? Okay, so th- th- this is. Uh, let me say, let me say this. So, you were adamant that you needed to include this story about skateboards. Okay, so uh, those of you who've been a, who, who are, those of you who are long term listeners will know that uh, James is a skateboard uh, enthusiast into skateboarding, and so you need to do this story about skateboards. So I'll, I'll just let you tell the story. Go ahead, skateboard sk- skateboard story. Have you got the clip at the ready? I have got the clip at the ready. Do we not need to give some detail about the clip before we listen? Right. All right. So this is a clip from a documentary called The Man Who Sold the World, but that's sold as in S-O-U-L-E-D. Shoes. As in your soul, you know. Oh, I see. 
and who sold the world also a david bowie song um and it's a documentary about uh a, a period of skateboarding in the early 90s and late late 80s early 90s where a small group of companies basically took over the entire market in a very short period of time in like one or two years and completely kind of crushed pal peralta vision uh and um santa cruz in terms of sales and sort of you know market dominance at a time where they were selling lots of skateboards and it was quite big money enterprise but it was a kind of slightly anarchistic company well very anarchistic company that kind of the reason they were so successful is they kind of didn't do everything that everyone else did so it's kind of an also a like bit of a business story because a lot of people are into that these days kind of disruption they call it disrupt the market and you come out on top so you switch everything up change all the rules which is you know can be used for, for evil <laughs> but this is a story about a skateboard graphic drawn by mark mckee who was one of their main artists and their graphics were a really big part of skateboards the picture it's, on the bottom of the skateboard it's a really big deal uh it's like a whole sort of even though as soon as you get it you scrape it off and it's ruined but that's kind of part of the appeal as well you know they're supposed to be temporary and they are kind of, you know, they used to be all screen printed, which is quite a labor intensive process. They're really beautiful objects. If you don't skate them, they last forever. You know, screen printed skateboard is just a work of art. Anyway, this is about a graphic. So, with that said, let's play the clip. <laughs> We're just two nerds, like, just drawing all day long. People always used to, you know, you guys are a pussy company, you just do cartoons. You're not hardcore like us. And I look at their boards, and, and what is so hardcore about, like, a skull? You look at a puss head graphic and go, who cares? Like, well, that's scary. That's not evil. And so I'm like, talking to Mark and go, man, let's make something that is truly evil. I am going to have to stop it just because otherwise there's a danger that people won't really understand. So their company, they look at the competition, this established company like Pal Peralta, and they have got some skulls in their designs what they're saying what what Rocco is saying there he's the he's the boss Steve Rocco he's saying that people were accusing them of being in his words of pussy company I wouldn't use that term myself uh, because they don't have skulls and stuff on their graphics they just have cartoons and kind of you know playful stuff which was true even though the cartoons are pretty crazy they were many cartoon based kind of graphic look and he was claiming that companies were taking the piss kind of saying your your company's soft you know you don't have any hardcore graphics okay and they said okay then if that's what you think let's do some hardcore graphics mark mckee does this thing comes back unveils it and it is both barrels <laughs> it's both barrels it's gnarly it's got the... <laughs> and jason's look and he's like we need to describe what the board the looks like, no? You notice the way Rodney Mullen there, he's the world-famous freestyler and co-owner of World Industries. He starts to say what it is, and he doesn't. He starts to describe the, the design on the board, but, but then he doesn't. And he cuts himself off. So he, he doesn't even want to describe it. But it's basically, for one thing, it's upside down, which is quite satanic, the graphic. It's Satan in hell wait a minute as if like satan's like whoa you know what upside down things to be it was supposed to be a joke anyway you know so that's just another level 
Uh, it's a picture of Satan in hell in full color with lots of dead people hanging on strings and it's just generally really, really evil. And I think there's various religious leaders hanging from something and uh, it's got 666 on it. It's got a pentagram on it. <laughs> We're just two nerds. Oh, like just- sorry, sorry. It's got 666, got a pentagram, all the all the devil's cliches. Boxes, but it is actually quite scary. I remember seeing it at the time in about 1991. And they showed it me in uh, Ideal, which is a skate shop that's still going in Birmingham. And I was kind of thinking, fuck, I think they might have gone a bit too far with this one. Right, okay. There's something about it very nasty and scary. Okay. This thing comes back, unveils it. And it is both barrels. It's just gnarly. It's got. (laughs) And Jason's looking, he's like. So, this is a board for Jason Lee. Jason Lee, this is a time where sometimes they could choose their own graphics, and sometimes Rocco would just give them a graphic of his own just choosing. And this one was like, hey, Jason, we've got your new graphic. And it was this Satan board. And that happens to be Jason Lee, who's now an actor in Hollywood. He's in My Name is Earl. Which and is... the uh, the Chipmunks movies, I believe. Alvin and the Chipmunks. Yeah. He's, he's Alvin. Yeah, he's now an actor. He's, he's in some TV shows and films and things. Uh, Jason Lee. Um, so okay. Jason Lee's reaction. Okay. Jason Lee, the skater who was supposed to get the board, his reaction. That's something. My initial reaction was, I don't, I, I don't want this board to be out with my name on it. I don't want to piss people off. I, I don't want to upset people. And Rocco was more, more in a position of, of not caring, which I can respect because, you know, you got to do what, 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 what you want to do. Mark, who for some reason actually believes he's a Catholic or, you know, has some sort of religious background, even though he's probably never been to church except to skate, told Jason, if you ride this board, something bad's going to happen. It's evil. It's evil. Evil, I tell you. Talks Jason out of it. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, can't have that happen. And Steve Rocco is suddenly loving this because all morals are built on price. Well, in this case, it's like, how much do you want? Because Jason's name was huge. The company's doing well. I'll write you a check. I think, I believe it's 10,000 bucks. No one's understanding this bit. So he said, um, basically, how much do you want to take this graphic? Wait, cause Jay- about- wait, wait, hold on, sorry, before you get to that bit, Jason Lee's like looking at the board going, bloody hell, this is really extreme. And then a friend, of another skater who is like, uh, you know, a bit religious is going, you can't take this skateboard, it's evil. If you take this, something bad will happen. So he gives him yeah. the heebie-jeebies about the board. So he's he doesn't want the board. He's saying to Rocco, no, and Rocco doesn't want to hear no. So he says, okay, how much do you want? How about $10,000? So he'll offer him $10,000 if he takes the board. And the board is only going to be out for a matter of a couple of months, maybe just a month. So it's not going to be out for like years or anything. It's a very short-term thing. Right. $10,000. $10,000. Yeah. To, 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 to have your name associated with this board with lots of horrible images on it. Yeah. Would you would you take it? Would you take the ten thousand? Well, let's see what Jason did. No, I want to know what you would do. Now, like here and now. Well, if you were in, let's say you were you're a sponsored skater and you're quite high profile, 
And, and I, if I really didn't, I mean, I, I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't, I don't think I'd be happy taking it. I don't think I'd. So I, I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to think about it because ten thousand dollars is a lot of money for a superstition. But it's more than just your personal superstition. It's what it's going to do when other people see it. Like Jason Lee said, he doesn't want to piss people off, and like you don't want to offend people that badly you know for no good reason because on, <laughs> on on one hand there's the uh, is the uh, is the superstition I mean, is the superstition right am i gonna is something bad gonna happen because this board is genuinely evil or is it more like i don't want to yeah upset uh religious people who would be offended just by it. it's out there with my name on it you know yeah okay let's see what jason said then let's see if i think that it's ready just for kicks and he's like, well, how much? And Steve was loving it. Rip one off the computer, wrote it in hand, a big no-no. And here you go, Jason. What's it going to be? Oh, man. Are you, are you serious? 10000 Oh, that was so much money to me. I took the check. And it's funny, too, because Rodney tried to talk me out of it, too. I don't know if he said that, but he did. He said, it's not good, Jason. It's not good. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. Devil. <sighs> Kills me to say Mark would be the angel's role, but that would be his place in a, in a sense, like don't do it in, the, in that sense. And so you got these guys tugging Jason so hard and in many ways the most influential people in that part of his life. And, and, and Jason took the, took the check. That was one of those. Jason what? Took the check. Oh, so he did take the check in the end. Listening. Okay. Moments where Mark was being very serious, you know, and he said, if you're not into it, don't do it. And so it was nice to hear him say that because that's when I was able to say, you know what, I actually don't feel good about it, and I never really did. So I, we drove back, and I gave Rocco the check back, and it pissed him off. I'm like, oh my god! I'm like, what are we gonna do? We've already got the graphic. We're already making the stuff. Nodis wanders in, sees the graphic, and I go, Hey, Nodis, you want that graphic? And I never thought of it for Nottis, because people always believe, like, Nottis, Satan, backwards, even though it has nothing to do with that. And so I thought it would be a good word for me to have. Right, so there's another guy who, who another skater called Natus or Nottis. It's actually Satan backwards. N-A-T-A-S, Satan backwards, but that's his name? That's his real name. Nottis. Yeah, Nuttus Kalpas, amazing skateboarder. But like he says, he, he they weren't even thinking of him for it because it was kind of too obvious. And Nuttus used to get shit from people claiming that his name was Satan backwards, but it's really just some sort of European or German name or something. It's a coincidence. And uh, so when he walked in, he said, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so it's even better, really, because it's got Nuttus, Satan, you know, on the graphic. So it's really funny that like Jason Lee was like really deliberating, like really thinking, struggling. It's like the most difficult decision of his life. And then Natus is like, yeah, I'll have it. Yeah. And they put it out on ad. I remember when the ad came out, they printed the graphic on and it just wrote, they wrote underneath, these are jokes, folks. Seriously, these are just jokes. Kind of as a get out clause, kind of to say, please don't take this too seriously. So then where, where do we end, James? Because this is maybe the longest thing of, we've ever done. Let's do the free will thing then. So free will. You want to talk about free will, but why do you want to talk about free will at the end of this episode all about evil stuff? <clears throat> There's this theory that that's going around at the moment in the scientific community that basically when you think about it, there's no such thing as free will. And so how does this how does this relate to because e that, evil in the world? That was true. There's not really such a thing as good and evil, right? I mean if you don't have a choice I mean, if everyone's just 
playing out their own little program, then evil is a concept that's made up by us rather than something that's tangible. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Without, without free will, there's no such thing as morality, really, I think. But let me explain what I mean by no such thing as free will. Everybody is following a path, basically the path of least resistance. You're molded as a human by your DNA and your life experience. And those things combined, and life experience is very, very complex. You know, everything you've ever experienced and possibly things that are in, you know, in your DNA as well. But from there on in, it's basically cause and effect. You know, every action has an equal or opposite reaction. So every everything that happens to you or everything that you go through, oh, this is so... <laughs> you just, have you just realised that you've no idea what you're talking about? I think I watched the thing. I watched the... Wait, I watched the clip that you're talking about. And what I took from it was, in my basic way, was this, that since the Big Bang, um, all... All matter is reacting with each other. Basically, the Big Bang set off a chain of events. Mash. Events all going together. Everything, it set off a chain of events, which, um, according to the laws of physics, all go in a certain direction. So all matter is spreading outwards. Every single thing that happens, happens as a consequence of something else. So you get this chain of cause and effect. And that cause and effect chain stretches from the past into the future. And we are just in the middle of it. And all events that happen, including the emotions we feel, the decisions we take, are all uh, part of that chain of cause and effect stretching from the past through the present and into the future. And so if you see things like that, then, yeah, there's no such thing as free will. It's all just this, this cause and effect chain um and uh so you're saying that because there's no free will there's no such thing as evil but what about if if so if it's basically free will versus determinism or free will versus no free will but let me just try and finish my point that um that if there is a god if there is an intelligent creator which also means that there is a, a a satan a devil right because um you know it's all fits into the same narrative doesn't it um it's like that thing about it's like that thing from the exorcist james you know the the film the exorcist which is about the girl who gets possessed by a demon and these two priests come to exorcise the demon from the girl and there's a conversation on the stairs between the two priests and they're you know this experience is is pushing the boundaries of their faith in god to the absolute limit and the younger priest is doubting his faith in god and yeah. the older priest basically says to him, look, if this is real, it also means that God is real, yeah. right? If this evil is genuinely uh, a, a malevolent spirit of the devil, then that also means that God is real. So this, it, it, for the older priest, it sort of it confirms his faith. The existence of evil confirms his faith in the existence of good or in the, in the existence of God. So, and that is in a, in a deterministic um model which is that god the creator is ultimately in control of things and that we're part of a grand plan and so determinism in that sense that we don't have free will because things have been things are planned everything's been 
uh, decided or things are being controlled by an intelligent uh, force out of the world. That is a form of determinism. So I, I don't know if no free will means there's no evil. What is evil? This is the question. Is oh, is, is is evil? Wait a minute. Is the is evil the expression of an individual's free will, or is evil an external force, a force external to people that makes humans do evil things? I don't believe that. I don't know. I you know. I I don't believe that either. I don't think that there is a a, a, a sort of a boss of evil who's kind of like, right, we need to do more evil things. Right, you go, you know, demons, go ahead. Like, come on, work extra hard. Come on. And uh, we need to make people do more evil stuff. And, and there's like team evil and team good. And uh, any people who do evil things, they're doing it because like they've been manipulated into doing it by evil forces. Uh, so that evil comes from outside people. I don't really know if that is true. Instead, I mean, it's it's hard to define it, evil, isn't it? Because when people do bad things, arguably, it's just because of, you know, maybe they've experienced trauma or maybe we just define certain behavior as evil. It's it's based on a, on a, on a value I mean, system. There are some things that you think, you know, I don't watch them anymore, but I've seen a couple of these kind of serial killer documentaries and they're really horrible, but... Um, you think that's evil, but you think, is it evil or is it like a chemical imbalance? Because a lot of these psychopaths have, have actually got something missing in the brain. You know, like the empathy chip is missing. Yeah. And it's like, can you genuinely say that's evil? But, um, mate, I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not going to get this, get this solved in, uh, in a three hour podcast. No way. And people have been trying to solve this question of like good versus evil, free will versus determinism. Uh is it uh um your life experience or is it your your um DNA that uh, determines uh who you are and all that stuff. Those are some of the biggest questions that humans have faced that philosophers have been trying to answer for for centuries and centuries. And so there's no way two idiots on a podcast are going to be able to uh to 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 sum it all up in a minute is there such a thing as a soul is there such a thing as a soul well yeah i've got a couple of souls on my shoes does that count souls the soul of your shoe no no um i mean would you sell your soul for rock and roll well oh that we haven't done that we didn't talk about that the the story of robert johnson the blues guitarist who uh, legend has it went to the crossroads and sold his soul to the devil that apparently before he did that he was a mediocre player uh, i think this is in the 20s i think um a, a blues guitarist um in america and he was apparently not that great um and then he disappeared for a weekend no one knows where he went but some people say that he went to the crossroads he went there and he sold he made a deal with the devil uh, and sold his soul in return for incredible talent on the guitar. And when he came back from this lost weekend where he disappeared, he was amazing, an amazing guitarist. And not only that, he attracted all the girls and he became a huge success, a virtuoso blues guitarist. And he died young as well, I think. Well, Ooh. I mean, probably probably worth it then, really. But the question is, would would I sell my soul? But I don't know what what are the what are the uh, what, what are the conditions what are the conditions of the deal? There's a, there's a lot of small print. 
Just mm. click OK. Just click Accept All. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you download the latest version of iTunes on your computer. It's like, do you accept all of the uh, the conditions from Apple? It's like, yeah, whatever. I'm sure that it's, I'm sure it's fine. Or when you sign up for Facebook and you're like, make sure you read the terms and conditions. Would you like us to email them to you? And you're like, nah, it's fine. Agree, agree, agree. Mm. So, yeah, there's going to be a knock at the door. Yes, is that Mr. Thompson? I see you. Uh, <laughs> You signed this document from Facebook. Yes, I've come to collect your soul. I'd like to just point out now that the things I'm about to say about Facebook are just allegations, criticisms, things that have been suggested by critics of the social network, not necessarily my own personal views, just allegations that have been made about Facebook in the past. Thank you. The question of would you sell your soul, I think maybe a lot of us already have without even realising it when we signed up for Facebook and agreed to let them allegedly, of course, sell off all of our personal data, which is basically a huge summary of everything that we are, including images of our face, uh, locations of where we've been, opinions, our likes and dislikes, images of our children and other family members. All of that's been packaged up into little data packages, which is then sent, sold off to the highest bidder, including very, very shadowy, dark organisations that are using that information, not just to sell you shoes, but to uh, maybe create profiles for you so that they can then uh, target you with fake news, misinformation in order to control the world. Allegedly, obviously, I'm saying that in jest. I'm saying that as, a, as an ironic joke, so, all right, well, I mean, there's no conclusion to this. I mean, except that we live in a godless universe, apparently, in the middle of space where horrible monsters could be lurking. Where no one can hear you scream. Let's end with a bit of death metal or something. Are there any that we didn't play? What about DVC? What, DVC? What's DVC? Darth Vader's Church. They did that death metal version of the, you know, the Darth Vader theme. Who did? DVC. Darth Vader's Church, and I think it's called Cranium Overture. Yeah, I've got it. All right, so this is what, death metal, and it's a sort of a Star Wars-themed death metal, is it? Yeah. Okay, this should be fun. It makes me laugh. <laughs> Death metal. I can't listen to it seriously. I just find it so funny. What about um, Dead by Dawn by um... Day Aside? Side, yeah. Day Aside, Dead by Dawn. All right then. You know what though? I should just say thank you, James, for being on the podcast. That's all right. It's a long one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really long one. But that's all right. The people who are into it will be into it. Otherwise, never mind. It'll be okay. The people who don't want to hear it, they will have dropped out long ago. But um, it's been interesting. It's been fun. I've enjoyed telling the scary stories and uh, talking about some of our favourite scary films and music and stuff. I hope that everyone's all right and not too disturbed. Everything's okay, ladies and gents. 
It's all right. Put, turn the lights back on. You can turn so, the lights on now. Uh, it's not scary with the lights on, is it? No. You know, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and feel a bit scared for no reason? And then you turn the light on. It's like, oh, it's not scary at all. That's just my coat on the back of a chair. <laughs> Have you ever had that? Yeah, seeing seeing figures in the doorway and it's just your jacket. Yeah. Yeah, happens all the time. <laughs> well, let's let's um let's just play Day Aside, Dead by Dawn, just for a bit of light entertainment at the end of the episode. Uh but anyway, James, thank you very much and to all the listeners, yeah, take care of yourselves and uh right. stay healthy. <laughs> Otherwise, bye, 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 bye. See you next time. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's ridiculous. that bit of silence Okay, you wanted to say one last thing. Yeah. Is it ro- is it rolling? Yeah. Uh it's quite cool he's talking about the nep- necronomicon in that song and like evil dead stuff. Oh, from Evil Dead 2, the film. Yeah. yeah. But um one thing I wanted to say is I think if Satan is present in music, I think it's not likely to be in death metal. I think it's more likely to be in contemporary pop. Right. There's that Bill Hicks thing. Yeah, what's the Bill Hicks thing? Bill Hicks thing is like, you know, people uh, uh, say uh, that the rock and roll is the devil's music. And he's like, well, if it is the devil's music, at least he's got the good tunes. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Okay. So there you are. That is the end of part three, the last part of this series. Hey Siri, did you enjoy listening to Luke's English podcast today? I can't do that. You haven't installed the latest podcast app. What are you talking about, Siri? I've got loads of podcast apps on my phone. You're just saying that because I don't have the the native Apple Podcasts app on my phone. I deleted it because I use other ones. Oh dear. So, there you are. That is the end of part three, the last part of this series. I hope you're not too traumatised by all this. There is also some bonus audio for this episode in the app. If you want more, check out the bonus audio 
in the app. There's actually bonus audio for this one. There's the bonus audio for part one as well. So open the app, the Luke's English Podcast app, available free from the App Store. Open the app, find this episode, tap the episode in the list, and then tap the little gift icon to access the bonus audio. And you will hear me describing and reacting to a creepy scene from an old black and white film called The Innocents. James wanted to show me this scene and wanted me to react to it, uh, describing what I was seeing. We did that while recording the episode, but I decided to cut it out and put it into the bonus audio. So, if you like, you can listen and hear my descriptions and you can watch the scene for yourself too. I'll put the video of that scene on the website. And I think I'll also make that bonus audio available on the website too. So that's the bonus audio in the app and also on the website. Listen to me describing a scene from an old creepy black and white film and you can watch the video as well. Check out the page for this episode to see a few select film clips and other bits and pieces. As ever, we look forward to reading your comments on the episode page. Perhaps you could tell us what you thought of this series. Are there any scary films you'd like to mention? What's the first scary film you remember seeing? Why do people choose to watch scary films? Whenever I say the word series, does your Siri on your phone wake up and talk to you like this? Hey Siri. No, oh, okay, now you don't respond. Hey Siri. Yes. <laughs> How do you pronounce the word series? Okay, I found this on the web for how do you pronounce the word series. Check it out. I love the way she can actually say the word series because she said it. How do you pronounce the word series? So she can say it, but she doesn't actually give me the answer. She go she just she just tells me some website pages to look at. Okay, let's try again. Hey Siri. <sighs> Hey, series. Oh, man. I'm listening. Siri, what is your level of English? I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Siri, you're rubbish at having a conversation. I have a feeling that Alexa is better at conversations than you. That's not nice. <laughs> Just saying, as far as I can tell, it's easier to have a conversation with Alexa than it is to have a conversation with you. Hey Siri, what do you think of Alexa? I offer no resistance to helpful assistance. And that's that's cute. It's like a little rhyme. Okay, Alexa. Obviously, uh, let me see if you, she knows. Hey Siri, <sighs> am I really going to have to say Hey Siri's? Hey Siri's. Oh dear. She actually responds. I'm listening. So she responds to "Hey Siri's," but she doesn't respond to "Hey Siri." Yeah, you don't understand because I'm I'm talking about you. Hey Siri, what is Alexa? Amazon Alexa, also known simply as Alexa, is a virtual assistant AI technology developed by Amazon. First used in the Amazon Echo smart speakers developed by Amazon Lab 126. Okay, stop. Thank you. Do you want me to keep reading? No, that's enough. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay. So anyway, so it's weird, isn't it, that I say, hey, Siri, don't don't respond, Siri, please. 
I say, hey, Siri, she doesn't respond. I say, hey, series, and she responds like, what's going on? Uh, anyway, Alexa is the, the equivalent thing, but with um, Amazon. <sighs> anyway, that's it. This really is the end of the episode now. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, and be excellent to each other, please. But for now, bye, 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 bye. for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.